my podcast. My name is Carlos Smith. For today's episode is brought by Charlie's Home Cooking and Big Ben Today we are back. Once again, we are on the road here in Salt Lake City, Utah, for the very first time for us. Um, we have a serial entrepreneur, the co-founder of Bridge Investment Group, Mr. Paul Hutchinson. How are you, Paul? I'm super good. Yeah, I'm super grateful, Carlos, for you having me on your show. Absolutely, no problem at all. And like I said, I tell people, you never know where life is going to take you. Uh, never, never in my years have I ever thought, you know, we would end up landing here in Utah. You know, I always write down places I want to travel to. Um, and it was just amazing, you know, just you guys reaching out. Just kind of give people a little backstory of how everything happened. Um, and I'll let you uh, chime in on this as well. So it was a, a few weeks ago I received an email um, from your assistant, and she was saying, hey, we would love to, you know, have Paul on. And she sent me some uh, some links to one of your interviews and to your website as well. So I was a little cautious. I'm like, man, I'm I'm in small town Jonesville, South Carolina, and I was just curious, like, man, how did how did he how did these people find me? So uh, we set up a phone call. We did Facetime and had a conversation. And, and once um, I, and I asked you if you don't mind me asking, like, how did you guys hear about me? And, and you told me, you know, it was, it was Julie Foster, Mr. Joe Foster. And once you said that, that brought me at a lot of ease. I was like, okay, wow. Because I remember we did an interview with them about a year and a half ago um, during the pandemic. So once you said that, I, it kind of really like uh, brought me at ease. I'm like, okay, uh, now I know this is, it's not a scam. <laughs> so, but I'll let you chime in on that. It's like, how, how, what, what all went into it from your side? It's like, what did they say to you and everything about putting this interview together? You bet. Well, I'm, uh, as, as your audience may know uh, or may not know, the... Uh, Joe Foster is one of the founders of, of Reebok, and um, he's, he's come out with a book talking about the past and kind of how they put that company together, some of the challenges they had as young entrepreneurs and putting the company together. And, and, uh, and so now he's in his, I think he's in his 80s, and, uh, oh, yeah. but he's killing it. He's traveling around the whole world and, mm-hmm. and just uh, being on podcasts everywhere. So he was on your podcast, and I was, I was chatting with both of them because I have a book coming out in the next few months. And I, I was just getting advice and stuff on publishers for the book. And they said, you know, you really need to get on a bunch of podcasts because that's the way that you're going to really get to people in different demographics and different parts of the world is in you speak once and thousands, if not millions of people are able to hear what you're saying. Absolutely. And it was for me, it was such a privilege to, you know, be able to have an interview with the founder, the co-founder of Reebok, Mr. Foster. Um, is. Because we wear their, their products all the time, but it's like you never really envision yourself actually having a conversation with them. Um, so I actually just reached out to them, and I was like, you know what? It won't hurt. I've seen some other guys that I uh, watched their interview. They, they did an interview with them. I said, you know what? Uh, nothing personal against I'm like, they're no better than I am. Let me just reach out and see if I can get the same thing in return. So when they reached out to me and said they would love for Mr. Foster to come on, it was just it was an honor and privilege for me. So it took me. To over about a three, four month span, we stayed in touch. And then once I turned my laptop on uh, to get ready to do the interview, he said, Carlos, how you doing? So that brought me at ease again. I was like, okay, so he knows who I am. Let's let's go ahead and, and knock this interview out. So it was definitely a, a honor and a privilege to have that conversation with Mr. Foster. Um, so thank, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Foster for setting this interview up. Um, and like I said, I love we could have done this interview online, but I love the face-to-face interaction with entrepreneurs to hear their stories. Uh, to me, it's because you don't get the same energy and you don't get the chance to really build those relationships as you would as you, as you can in person. So, yeah. yeah exactly. Thank you again for you know welcoming us into your home. You bet. You bet. Well, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to film, and, and uh, we're, we're usually on the road. We're hardly ever here, so 
it's great to be able to, yes, to capture a time when we're here at the house. Is there a perfect time, perfect time. So for people watching this interview, uh, you know, I, 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 I told them that you were a co-founder of Bridge Investment Group, you're serial entrepreneur, very successful. If you had to, somebody came up and asked like, who is Paul Hutchinson, like, how would you uh, describe yourself? Right now? Yes, sir. <laughs> um, Paul Hutchinson is a, uh, is a visionary leader um, who has learned how to inspire people and lead people from a, from a place in the heart. Um, his goal is to have a powerful, positive impact in the lives of millions, if not billions of people. Mm-hmm. And, and where are you originally from? You, from here in from Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I grew up with the mountains in my backyard, learned how to ski when I was just a little kid and, mm-hmm. and had a beautiful, beautiful life. So, so growing up, like, what, were you, what kind of things were you into as far as like growing up with the sports or just? Uh, some, I, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't super athletic. I, I played lots of sports, but you know, I was never the star player. Um, played, uh, played some basketball when I was younger, some soccer and, and uh, baseball, and then went into uh, some football, played rugby. Um, that was that was rough. We averaged like one person a game and went to the hospital. Oh, man. Yeah, it was like an organized brawl. Um, but uh, I'm super good friends with a lot of NFL and NBA players today. Uh, Rudy Gobert's been here in our house many, many times. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's been here a number of times. Uh, a lot of just really good good people that have played professional sports. And one thing I have found is that the very same techniques that I used in building companies, building the foundation, finding the kids, all these same techniques are used by professional athletes as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just that Rudy Gobert is, you know, super tall and yeah. has a huge wingspan. That's, that's not what made him great. What made him great is that he decided at a young age that he was gonna visualize himself being there. And, and he would put in the hard work in the exact same system that I used to build successful companies mm-hmm. was a system that he used to become a, an all-star. Absolutely. It's all about, you know, having that right mindset. I want to ask you, as far as like growing up in your childhood, like, did you come from a family of entrepreneurs or, or what did you see growing up from your, from your parents? My, my dad, uh, when I was really little, he was, um, you know, they, we did a little bit of everything just to keep things afloat. I remember we we took a job cleaning the, the bank and the realtor building and stuff like that when we were young, just helping my parents earn some extra income so we could go to Disneyland and stuff. And, and uh, he, was a, uh, he was a salesman at a concrete company and uh, worked his way up somewhere when I was about 16, 17 years old. He, uh, he decided he would buy out some of the partners and, and become an owner of that company. And so... Uh, but but was never really an entrepreneur. In fact, he told me when I told him I wanted to go into business, he said, "Nah, you shouldn't go into business. You should do something else." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because you're you're not any good at kissing butt." He said, <laughs> "He said you have a have a problem with authority." And and what I realized later is that his perception of business is what he had to do, starting at the bottom, working his way up till he finally was able to take over the company. And yeah, it took a little bit of kissing butt, which I wasn't very good at. Mm-hmm. But being an entrepreneur. You know, I've told people for a long time, I would, I would rather own my own hot dog stand than ask somebody when I can go to the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not, 
he was right. I'm not very good with authority. I'm not interested in me saying, hey, can I, is it okay if I have a little break so I can go to the bathroom? No, screw that, you know. I'd rather, I'd rather be my own man, make my own decisions. Now, I realized, though, that I was going to fail in business if I wasn't the hardest boss on myself that I've ever had. You're either working every day to help somebody else achieve their dreams or you're working every day to achieve your dreams. Absolutely. You know? So that's, that's what <clears throat> I had to realize is that I needed big enough dreams that would motivate me to do what I needed to do without having a boss making me do what I needed to do. Absolutely. I saw what you say your father gave you two gifts. One of them was how to win friends and influence people, and then the other one was audio tape mm -hmm. for, um, from, from Brian Tracy. Talk a little bit about those two gifts and like how did they change things for you? Yeah, I was, I was maybe 14 years old. And I wasn't too popular at school. You know, I had buck teeth for a long time and braces and cold sores when I was a kid and just all kinds of stuff that, you know, kids would, would uh, beat me up and call me names and, you know, super difficult. And, and I was like, oh, I see all these cool kids. You know, some of them are cool kids because they played sports and some of them are cool kids because their dad had a lot of money and all this stuff. And I, I came to my dad and I said, how can I, how can I, how can I be popular, you know? And he says, is that really what you want, you know, to be popular? I said, I don't know, I just, I just, I just want people to like me. I wanna, I wanna figure out how to talk to people and, I, and I, I'd like to figure out how to be successful in life. And, um, and he said, Paul, he said, there's the, if you develop your mind and learn the skills that will help you in business and leadership and everything else, it'll, it'll carry you through your entire life. He said, mm -hmm. you don't need to be popular right now. He said, most of the kids that are popular in high school end up being losers later in life. It's That's the guys right. who weren't mm -hmm. too popular that were scrapping that said, you know what? I'm going to do something with my life that worked hard and became something. In fact, it was funny. I went to my, my uh, I, I sponsored my 30-year my reunion and, and uh, so many people were there that were like, wow, this is you know, how did you do this? How, you know, somebody called, somebody introduced me as the master of the universe because, you know, <laughs> the, the top of the top in the financial world is being a fund manager, right? Even the, um, you know, the RIAs, all these guys are looking up fund managers like the top, top, you know? So I was introduced that way to some, one of the guys who used to be popular in high school and all these people didn't even know me in high school. They're like, oh yeah, I didn't even, you know, you're one of those smart kids that nobody cared about. Yeah, you know, I wasn't even that smart. You know, I took some, AP classes and stuff, but, but those two tools that my dad gave me when I was 14 changed everything. When, I, oh, okay. Yeah, I, when I started understanding with the, with the Psychology of Achievement by Brian right. Tracy, mm -hmm. what that did for me is it laid a foundation of an understanding that everything that we create in our life is not only created by our actions, but they're created by our words and even our thoughts that are drawing in or repelling out things that we want or don't want in our life. And so by, by having a super clear vision of what you want and then learning to, to listen to that guidance that's coming in, that, that, those are things I learned from that psychology of achievement, understanding that if I changed my thoughts, I could change everything about my life, about my future, about my friends, everything. Mm -hmm. So when did you feel like the things finally started to, to shift for you like in a, in a positive way? Was it that immediately after that or did it take some time? Um, it, took, it took a year or so of me 
wearing out those tapes, going over them over and over again mm -hmm. um, before I, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> so it took, it took a while. It took, um, you know, at least a year of me listening to those tapes so many times that I wore them out, mm -hmm. you know, before things really started settling in and I realized, wow, I could really be, have, and do anything I wanted, anything. I just, I just had to, I just have to figure out what it is. You know, I realized that most people spend more time planning out their next vacation than they do planning their life. And they could simply decide what it was they wanted. And so that's what I did. I said, I'm going to play big. I'm not going to play small anymore. Um, I said to, you know, run for student body office. I decided to, you know, hit it hard in all areas. You know, my my uh, relationships with people and my my uh, classes I was taking in school and stuff. I ended up finishing like an entire year of college before I finished high school. Mm. You know, because I just decided, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. I've got one life to live, and I'm gonna live it the best I can. And um, and those tools started changing how I thought about myself and how I thought about other people. And that changed everything. Absolutely. So growing up, you know, going through high school, did you immediately know, like, what, what you wanted to be? Because I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've said this several times on this platform, is, you know, for me it's kind of hard to expect a, a, a young teenager, a child, to, you know, know what they want to do the rest of their life when we see adults constantly you know changing their careers all the time so did you know right away what you that you wanted to be become an entrepreneur or or were you just trying to go through and still figure out things in life here's what i came to understand um and this was in reading and, and listening to some of those tape programs i came to realize that too many people get bogged down with the journey instead of the destination okay mm -hmm. so the most valuable thing that you can do is not figure out what you're going to be when you grow up or what, what classes you're going to take and all this other stuff. Instead, look farther beyond that. Say, okay, what lifestyle do I want? What kind of home do I want to live in? What kind mm -hmm. of time do I want to enjoy traveling? Where, what places do I want to travel to? Every day when I come home from work, what do I want to feel in terms of the difference that I made in the lives of others? What kind of uh, charitable focus do I want to have in life? So, you know, if you figure out all these different categories of success, because success is not just a big house, right? Well, success is a healthy relationship. Success is giving back. Success is the connections that you have with people, all of these different areas. So you identify each area of success and exactly what that looks like and take yourself where you can feel it and see it and, and just bring it into your life by clearly identifying that end goal, it will mm -hmm. make it so that the how-to will start to show up. So for me, what I decided is that I wanted, number one, to be financially secure. That, that whatever direction I went, I wanted to have enough money where I could have safe cars for, for my family, where I could have a beautiful home to, to raise them in, where I could have the money to go on the vacations that we wanted. I, I wanted to be able to have the financial ability to give back in significant ways where we could really make a difference in the lives of others. So as I figured out that, then the, the how, the journey, starts showing up in front of you. That road that's taking you to where you wanna be. So that's what you have to do at the beginning. So no, I had, 
I didn't even know what a fund manager was back then. You know, I, I thought, hey, I want to be a you know, business owner, that would be great. And my parents said, ah, you know, maybe you should use your intellects instead and go into medicine. So I decided I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, in fact, when I was a kid, I wanted to be, a, when they kind of were pushing me away from business and into medicine, I decided, okay, if I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a surgeon. And if I'm going to be a surgeon, I want to be a specialized, like a heart surgeon. And if I want to be a heart surgeon, I want to even specialize more. I want to be a heart surgeon on children. So I wanted to be a pediatric cardiologist. That's what my goal was. And um, I got in a major car accident right before I was taking the MCAT. Severed all the tendons in my hand. Hmm. And I still have a 80 right here in my hand from 30 years ago. And they didn't know if I'd have the dexterity to be a surgeon. I was a concert pianist. I was putting myself through school and teaching and playing the piano. and. All of a sudden, one day, boom, all of that was shattered. And um, the doctor said, well, he said, you could be a regular doctor if you wanted to. And I said, I, I don't want to be a regular anything. You know, I got, I got one life to live. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live it. If I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a surgeon, a heart surgeon. I said, so I, I told him, if, if I'm going to be a garbage man, I want to own the dump. Right? Right. <laughs> that's just, that's just how I think, right? And so that's when I decided to change my major to business and finance and organizational communication so that I could learn better how to communicate with people. I had a mentor that helped me get started on that path of, uh, of being an entrepreneur and building a number of companies that ended up with, with the building of the big one. I want to ask you, you know, kind of tying in what you were just saying about, you know, people identify the journey first and the, des the destination later. And then also having, you know, when you're figuring out where you want to go and having that end goal, is there ever really a such thing as having an end goal? Because if it seems like as you continue to constantly achieve different goals in life and you achieve multiple things, it's always like, okay, now that I've accomplished this, what's next? Can I attack the next goal or, or what's next or what's next? Is there ever really a such thing as an end goal that you believe? I don't, I don't think so. Other, other than, you know, I've got an end goal of making a powerful positive impact in the most lives that I can, you mm -hmm. know, that's a good end goal or, uh, you know, an end goal of to, to be in a, a place of peace and happiness in every year of your life. Those are pretty broad, but those are good end goals. But, but there's a lot of little ones in between. And you're exactly right. You wanna, you wanna set small achievable goals that are on your way to your bigger goals. Mm -hmm. But once you even get there, don't stop. Because if you, if you stop, hey, I made it, then life starts caving in because we are made our souls are created in a way where, where progression creates happiness. Mm -hmm. You know, being actively engaged in a worthwhile goal is something that truly creates joy and happiness inside of each person. And so always resetting that. And I tell people, set your goals in concrete, but set your dates in sand, right? Because sometimes, you know, you set this date, hey, by March of 2023, I'm gonna be here. And then you get there, and if you give up, then it's crap. No, you're still, as long as you made some progress, then reset the date. Keep your goal focused, mm -hmm. but, but reset that date until you accomplish it, and then set a new goal. Absolutely. Speaking about uh, mentorship, you said you had mentors that kind of, you know, help, you know, with your goals and figuring things out in life. Um, I also read where you said that uh, the only mentors told you that they, they listen better than you, and you pointed to your ears, but he was saying... Yeah. You listen better. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that, that story changed my life, Carlos. It changed my life. It was my early 20s. 
I met a man who uh, he he had a really rough childhood. His his mom was in a mental institution. His dad ended up going to jail for alcoholism. He was in a bunch of foster homes. Got involved with crime. Um, couldn't read. I mean, he was barely a third grade level on his, his reading, mm. if that. And um, never graduated from eighth grade. I barely made it through elementary school, if that. And um, yet, years later, he was he was the inventor of countless, like over three hundred medical devices, and um, he was the original inventor of the voice recognition technology that IBM used wow. for for you know voice. And he told me, he said, I, I invented this voice recognition because I couldn't. I couldn't read and I couldn't write. So I, I created that. I'm like, how the crap do you do that if you don't have all of the, the logical skills that, that everybody else has? And, and he told me this. He said, Paul, he said, you could have an IQ at 200 if you wanted. And I'm like, what? You can't change your IQ. I said, plus, I'm really not that smart. You know, I, I worked my butt off for my grades and I didn't even get a scholarship. I'm not that smart. He goes, no. He said, the difference between me and you is that I listen better than you. I said, you, you listen better than me? He said, no, I listen better than you. And he touched his heart instead of his ear. And, and he said, most people discount their intuitions because they don't know where they came from. They think mm -hmm. they came from their limited knowledge, the books they've read, and they don't trust the guy in the mirror, the gal in the mirror. And so, so how could anything brilliant come from me, right? When he said, when you understand that those, that still small voice, that, that light of truth is, is a gift inside every single one of us the day that we're born, and it will lead us if we learn to listen to it. He said, if you imagine that every one of us is a supercomputer, right? We've got unlimited capabilities, but the average person puts information in the supercomputer like one one word at a time typing it in mm -hmm. or like one of those old little floppy disks you know put that in there just little bits of information here and there he said when you learn to listen he said it's like tapping into a fiber optic high-speed internet line with unlimited information accessed immediately and he said in a truth filter that can help you filter truth he said then he asked me this he said Paul how do you think that I'm the inventor of these medical devices. I said, you're, you have the patents, right? He goes, yeah. I said, you're the inventor. He goes, no. I said, what do you mean? He said, you stole it? He goes, well, kind of. He said, how long has the universe been around? I said, millions of years. He said, billions upon billions of years. He said, those medical devices were invented billions of years ago. I was a better listener than you. He said, you have to understand that we live in a world of universal truth everywhere, that all of us are connected. Every one of us around the world are connected heart to heart to heart. And, and there's this energetic connection that we have with the earth, with the universe, with God, with our higher self, with all of these things. There's, there's this connection everywhere. And if we learn to listen to it, he says, this isn't a religious thing. This is something that is inside of every person. He says, that will lead you in your life that will guide you towards your highest and best good in all areas. Mm. Especially if you've like clearly identified your goals and you know where you wanna go, then all you have to do is listen and, and the right things will be brought in and you'll be guided in that direction. I, I spoke about this uh, not long ago in another interview. I watched a, 
an interview with Oprah um, when she was at Stanford University, and she was talking about you know moving around from becoming a news anchor, and uh, she was in I believe Atlanta at the time, and you know people were telling her you know you're doing a great job, stay where you are. But she said it was always something in her that was telling her that it was always more out there for her to accomplish. So that's when she, you know, went to um, went to Chicago. And uh, but she said she always listened to that inner voice. Why do you think so many people, you know, today don't listen to their voice? Because it's it's so many people out here that want to go after their dreams or they have these great ideas, but they don't go out there and take their chance. Why do you think they don't listen to their inner voice? It's it's because they've been trained since they were really young to not trust themselves, right? To have negative habit patterns of thought, negative self-talk and what if thinking and negative perceptions of themselves. And so when, when we're really little and somebody says, you can't do that, you can't do that. No, 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 no. It's all we hear for so long is all these no's. And we, we, uh, we, we have, we're, we're being trained by parents who don't know how to teach us high self-esteem, don't know how to teach us how to trust what's going on inside and so then we make stupid decisions because we make those decisions logically on things and then we're thinking well I made really dumb decisions so many times in my life that how can anything creative and good and truthful come out of me I don't trust me right mm -hmm. and so so the number one thing you have to do is you have to start building your self-esteem and trusting yourself on things with little teeny things in the beginning you know, if you can't trust yourself on big stuff, set small commitments to yourself, little tiny goals, mm -hmm. and, and, and go for those. Or even start listening to your intuition on little things, you know, of, uh, and just test it, and you'll find that it's true. You can, you can visualize a parking place right next to, the, to the, the store. Not the exact parking place, but something that's in that front aisle, and you memorize it, and you, you, you focus on it, and you feel it, and you go, and sure enough, a car's pulling out right as you're pulling in. Super cool stuff mm -hmm. like that. So then you're like, okay, maybe there is something there, right? And and you can you can do the same thing when you're you're meeting somebody and just try to tune into their energy right up front. There's a whole bunch of nonverbal social cues that are coming up that your subconscious mind is picking up on together with that energetic connection that you'll be able to know. Is this person a person of integrity? Is this person somebody who really has my best interest in mind? And and start testing those little things. And you'll find that if you get out of your logical mind, you know, some things you, you make the decisions logically first, but then ask intuitively if your decisions are right and then get really quiet and listen, then mm -hmm. those things will come out and you'll realize, yes, that feels right, that feels peaceful, or if it feels anxious in any way, okay, you need to question a little bit more and figure out what's going on here. So that's why people don't trust themselves is because they've been trained their whole lives not to. And we're so programmed to, you know, think a certain way. You know, like you said, it's, it's when you've been taught something for so long, it's hard to, you know, go against that. So even when you're, you're in school, you graduate, you go get a job. And like you said, there's so many people that have told me plenty of times, hey, you got a great job. You stay with there. You got great benefits. But for even me personally, it's like, man, I always knew it was something more out there for me to do. It just didn't feel fulfilling to just go to work and just pick up a paycheck and just stay there and just that's it for the rest of my life. It always felt like it was more. But but for the average person, it's like you have these people in your ear telling you the same thing and it's like you're just conditioned to do the same things over and over. You just have to break out of that cycle of, you know, um, doing the same things traditional because if not, you're just going to repeat the same cycle and then it's going to pass down to your children and exactly. generation after generation. 
But what would you say is for you is like, um, was that part of like your mentorship and your parents, both of those played key parts in you breaking that, uh, like that paradigm? Um, it's taken years for me to really start breaking that one, okay. you know? I, I was super ingrained with a certain way of thinking for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and things had to shake up pretty hard in my life for me to take a step back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, is this true just because my politicians told me it was true? Is this true just because my doctors told me it was true? Is this true just because my parents told me it was mm-hmm. true? Or were they passing down information from other people that passed it on to them that maybe had agendas or, or were hurt or traumatized in some way? And so, so by, by being able to take a step back from everything and, and in a way question everything mm-hmm. and then ask myself, okay, how does this feel? Each thing, how does this feel? Is this in line with the person I want to be? Is this in line with, with having a heart-centered life? Is this in line with how I want to raise my kids? But it took me a long time to break some of those cycles. Mm-hmm. Was it a scary feeling, you know, when you began to question things? Because like I say, when you, when you grew up for so long and your parents teach you certain things and you learned certain things in school, like you said, with politicians, um, was that a scary feeling when you began to like question all this stuff that you were taught for so long as a child? Super, super scary. Yeah, I felt, I felt, I felt like, wait a minute, you know, this is this is breaking down my paradigms, my view of how I'm seeing things, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had to realize that that everybody sees things from a different angle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, perfect example, you, you you put your finger above your head, and mm-hmm. you and you twist it in a clockwise position, right? Just for fun. You keep it twisting the same way, you bring it right in front of your nose, and then you bring it down below your chin. You keep doing the same way. Now you look down at it, it's going counterclockwise, right? Mm-hmm. You never moved it. It's exactly the same totally. spin, but a totally different view on it, right? Mm-hmm. And so by being able to take a step back and saying, okay, how can I look at this from a different lens, from a different viewpoint? And, and maybe everything is as it seems. Maybe there are some things that I need to change about my perceptions, my perceptions of myself, my role here on this earth, my, my connections with other people, my connection with God. You know, all of these things that were, that were very, very ingrained for a long time had to be taken back and say, okay, if I'm going to live my life from a place of true integrity, and if I'm going to listen to the intuition, that still small voice of truth inside of my heart, then what is that telling me that's different from what I've been being told right. and what I've been being taught? And, uh, and you'll find that there are thousands of things in your life that you were taught, not by people who were out of integrity themselves. They just taught it to you because that's what they learned themselves. And it's been generations of teaching a certain way of thinking and a certain way of, of, of working with other people and everything else that, that ends up creating challenges. Absolutely. And I I remember we, one of the things as children, when we were in high school and and we would question teachers about certain things is like, why are we going to have to learn this when we're not going to use it in real life? But they could never really give us a a real answer as to why we had to learn it. It was just, well, it's part of the the curriculum. You just got to go through and learn it. So they could never really give us these great explanations for that. So it's always, like you said, about, you know, Growing up, you know, we learn these things, but then we want to, you have to challenge some of the things that you learn because then you then you begin to learn. And when you get out there in the real world, sometimes you learn like, man, 
school didn't even really teach me this. I had to learn this on my own. And that's how I felt, you know, after graduating uh, from college. I felt like the college didn't really teach me. I learned discipline because I had I didn't have anybody to, you know, to wake me up and go to class and say, hey, you need to do this. You need to be here on time. I learned discipline. But as far as like a lot of other real real world schools, I feel like school didn't um, teach me that. I really began check. I really began questioning things when I read the book um, Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. I had a guy when I um, I told him my first car, and uh, when I went to get a, to the dealership to get a new car, he was telling me, "Hey, he asked me why I was working there, and he said, whatever you do, just don't sell.' He said, "You need to get you need to get this book by Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dad Poor Dad." And I read that book. The first time I read it was in 2015, 2016, and when I read it. It made me start questioning things like, man, I felt like college kind of shortchanged me to a certain degree because we were taught a certain way for so long that it was like, man, this was really an eye opener. So once I finally got out in, into the real world, you know, like you said, it was scary questioning things um, that I was taught at school and from what my parents taught me. But I felt like to be the person I wanted to be, you know, I'm still learning. I still make mistakes, but it's a better feeling now knowing that, you know, I'm really kind of taking control of my own destiny, you know, betting on myself and learning along the way. But like you said, it's just, you know, questioning those things from uh, when you get out there into the real world. Exactly. Well, and, and you're, you'll find it a lot in, in the divisions that people throughout the world have. Those divisions based on, on religious differences, on, on race differences, mm-hmm. on, on different regions of the world, even male and female differences, everything else. So many, any time that you look at another human being with anything less than infinite love and an infinite connection, seeing that human being as valuable as yourself in every way, anything less than that are things that were, that were taught incorrectly to you throughout your life, period. It's just what it is. Mm -hmm. And so you can look at your life and say, okay, where are areas of my life where I feel like I'm better than somebody else because I live in this house or because I speak English or because I, you know, have this, this, this understanding of God, whatever it is, if there's anything that is dividing human beings from others based on any of those factors, those are false teachings. I'm telling you straight out right now, they're all false teachings and they were all put in agendas from people who would want to gain power by subjugating others. Period. End of story. Right? And so by feeling into that and letting go of all of that, it puts you in a place of beautiful inner peace and a true unconditional love connection with every single person. People ask me all the time, they say, they say, Paul, how could you in your charity work? How could you go undercover and go face to face with somebody selling a child and not have them see the anger in your voice and in your eyes and everything else and your hatred? Mm-hmm. And my answer surprises them. My answer is this. I love them. I love them like a brother, like a lost brother. I want to hug them and take away all their pain. Now, I will do everything in my power to ensure they never hurt another child again. Mm-hmm. And there is no excuse for their actions. But, but what I've realized that if I'm ever, ever judging another human being, ever, for anything, for, for not being able to read, for 
cutting me off on the freeway, for selling me a child, for anything, for their job, for their income level. If I'm ever, ever, ever judging another human being, there's a 100% chance that I don't have enough information to make that judgment. There's only one person in the universe that has that information, that ain't me, right? Absolutely. And so, so I've, I, I don't know if, if that guy that doesn't know how to read, his dad's an alcoholic and his, his mom's in mental institution and he dropped out of school at, at third grade, I don't know, right? I don't know if that guy cutting me off on the freeway, if his wife's in the hospital or whatever, I don't know. And I don't know if that guy selling me a child, I don't know if he was raped as a child, he probably was. Mm -hmm. And he probably had a million bad things that happened to him and a million bad decisions that he made that got him to the point where he thought it was okay to sell me a child in, right. in, in the child trafficking world. And so, but, but I, I can't, I can do everything to make sure that he never hurts another child, but I can't judge him. Absolutely. See what I mean? And as you start looking at every human being with that kind of energy, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're building your company and you've got employees and customers and everything else, if you can see them from a place of the heart, if you can see them truly as your brother and sister, as, as tied to you as one in energy and connection in all ways and truly love them for that, then you're not going to do unscrupulous business activities. You're not going to do things out of integrity. You're going to create a win-win scenario with your employees, with your customers, and everything that will create value for everybody, not just you. Absolutely. When you talk about entrepreneurship, um, I want to get back to the entrepreneurship part. Um, so after high school, you, you went on to college, correct? Mm -hmm. And then... After that, what kind of jobs did you work, you know, during college or after college that kind of like helped shape you into becoming an entrepreneur? Absolutely. My, I had a mentor that told me this. He said, Paul, he said, if you want to go into business, the number one thing you need to learn how to do, you need to learn how to handle rejection and you need to learn how to sell. He said, because every good business owner has to go through a bunch of rejection and has to learn how to sell. He said, because it doesn't matter. Even if you're not the one that's selling the products to your customers, you're selling your idea to your investors. Mm -hmm. You're selling your, your vision to your employees. You're selling your fact that you're working so hard to your wife. You know, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're presenting your best self and your ideas to move forward. So handling rejection is important. So I, I, when I got in the car accident and they told me I probably couldn't be a surgeon and I changed my major to business and I had a, I had a, a friend, a friend of the family, pretty successful in business and he said, Paul, he said, why do you want to be a doctor anyway? I said, I'll be honest, I want, I want the money. He said, he said, I said, I'll go to school for 12 years so I can drive a Ferrari <laughs> and he, he laughed and he said, Paul, he said, you have a gift with people. He said, I'm not going to invest with you. I'm not going to give you any money or any, any, I'm not going to work with you. But he said, if you do what I teach you to do, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 30 and you'll have the time to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, what do I do? He said, you need to find a job that is the hot, a sales job that's the highest rejection job you can find. And uh, so I ended up doing two things. I ended up starting um, uh, in a multi-level business. Amway business. Now I didn't earn any money there, mm -hmm. but I learned how to handle rejection for sure. Because man, everybody's rejecting me in that space, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and then I ended up starting working at a at a job at a call center, cold calling on the phone all day long. 
and, and my mentor said, Paul, he said, and we were selling children's videos, self-help programs that parents could have their kids learn stranger danger and honesty and integrity and responsibility, stuff like that, right? So I told, I told my mentor, I'm not gonna sell anything I don't believe in, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, selling, selling those children's videos was something I could totally get behind. And he said, you need to work to learn, don't work to earn. He said, if, if one day you're there for a paycheck, you're wasting your time. He said, don't, you're, you're not gonna be an employee the rest of your life. He says, you're learning every single day what you need to, to handle rejection, learn how to sell, et cetera. There were, there were 300 people working at this call center. Mm-hmm. Average person was making 20 cells a week. There's two guys that were making 70 cells a week. And, and uh, he said, Paul, he said, find the best in your industry and take them, learn from them. And I told him about these guys. He said, take them to lunch, learn from them, figure out what they're saying, how they're handling their objections, everything else, and I did. I'd take these guys to lunch every day on my own dime, one after the other. And I was asking them all these questions, figuring out what they were saying, how they're handling stuff. And within a few weeks, I had surpassed everybody in the company and was making 70 sales a week with these guys. And then I ended up breaking the record of like 200 and something sales. And um, one of these guys came back and he's like, oh man, because he had held the record for five years, right, of the whole company. So he barely beat me, like 218 sales. So I, I went into my boss and I told him, all right, what do I get if I beat that? He says, what do you want? He had this $100 Mont Blanc pen on his desk. I said, I want your pen. Like he says, he laughed. He says, okay, because he was gonna earn thousands off it, right? So I went back and all weekend long, I studied. I was studying the objections and, and the scripts and rewriting them in ways and everything. And I came back with this total focused vision and did over 300 sales in one week. Everybody else was still doing 20, uh. right? Killed it. And uh, that transferred into me starting my own marketing company um, that we ended up selling a program that helped people overcome anxiety, depression, etc. But those were, that's how I started was, was I was working at the hospital in the beginning because I was going to be a doctor when I hurt my hand, quit my job there, started the high rejection sales job and ended up building an empire from there. Talk a little bit about the overcoming rejection part. You know, first time I'm becoming an entrepreneur, I watched the interview with Bob Proctor. He said, when you become an entrepreneur, one of the key things you need to understand is, you know, he said, just get used to rejection because it's part of, you know, the business. And a lot of people don't become entrepreneurs or go after what they really want in life because they fear, uh, the fear of rejection is what keeps them from going after what they want. So what, what did you do to kind of like overcome that rejection? Was it just, you know, talking to yourself, like uh, positive affirmations about overcoming those rejections? Like what were you going through? Because for me, honestly, I, I won't lie, when I was, you know, trying to find my job, you know, like, like I told you um, yesterday, uh, you know, covering the Hornets and covering the sporting events, I thought, you know, with me covering the greatest athletes in the world, I could just go to ESPN or Fox and get a job right after college, and it didn't work that way. And um, it, it bothered me. It made me question a lot of things for myself, like, am I worthy of these opportunities? But the rejection also taught me, you know, um, is no, it's not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear because it'll force you to go back to the drawing board and correct your own mistakes. So. When I didn't get those opportunities, I went and learned from one of my friends, uh, Trey Morrow. Um, shout out to Trey. He taught me some like behind the scenes production work um, for producing like volleyball games and basketball games for uh, ESPN. Um, I didn't get a job at a radio station right off the bat. Um, so I just went back to, you know, learning from under Trey. 
A year later, I went back to the radio station and got a producer opportunity um, working part time. Um, but, you know, it was the rejections. They hurt, but it forced me, you know, get back to the drawing board and just keep on going um, and just tell myself I can do it. And, you know, one day it's, it's all going to be worth it. So for you, like, what did you do to, you know, overcome? Because it does hurt when you get rejected. Like, what did you do to overcome those fear of that rejection? And, like, what were you telling yourself? There was a book I read back in my early 20s called Reject Me, I Love It. And it, mm. and it talked about how it's just changing your perspective on it. Where again, you know, clockwise versus counterclockwise. That mm -hmm. Change your perspective, realizing that they're not rejecting you, right? They're rejecting what it, whatever it is that you're selling to them, okay? Right. And so removing yourself from a personal rejection feeling that it's not me and it's probably them. It's probably right. them. They, they haven't worked hard enough to have enough money for your deal or they haven't, right. whatever it is, it doesn't matter. There, there's, there's, there's something there that you don't have to tie it to you. And I, I, uh, I imagine this, okay, so think, pretend like you own, uh, you own a McDonald's, right? And that McDonald's mm -hmm. is, you're cranking it. You can make some good money, you know, with that. However, if you stood out on the street and you counted every car that passed by your McDonald's that didn't stop and you took it personally, It'd destroy you, right? right? Absolutely You'd be right. like, mm -hmm. all these people are driving right past my McDonald's yeah. and they're not stopping, <laughs> right? So change your perspective of how those people that are driving by your McDonald's, same thing, you're on the phone with them, you're calling them, hey, that's not for them. They just drove by your McDonald's. Don't take it personally, right? Mm -hmm. You're gonna find the ones that really do wanna come in and, and enough of those. And as soon as you find out what your success level is whether that's one in ten phone calls one in a hundred one in whatever you calculate that so keep track of it then is what you do is you realize okay all i have to do is make a hundred phone calls and boom i make ten grand right or i make a mm hundred -hmm. grand whatever it is you're you figure out how much it is and when i was building the fund i calculated how much money i would earn off of each person that invested in the fund that i brought in with a million dollar investment and that, and I realized, man, I'm I'm actually I'm actually making like between five hundred and a thousand dollars every phone call, mm. right? Even if they say no, and so I was I was getting more excited about making the calls. I'd mm -hmm. get ten calls no matter what they said. Why? Because that earned me ten grand, you know, mm -hmm. average over the next ten years, right. right? And so, so figuring out what those numbers are and calculating them and then not taking it personally just pretend like those guys are driving past your mcdonald's i think that's so that's a key part of anything it's like not taking anything personal because it'll destroy it could easily destroy your business like a like a business decision or anything like if you somebody had it comes with a great offer but you don't like this person because of something they did in the past and you hold these personal feelings towards them um they could destroy like a business. So don't never take anything personal, like you would say. Even though the rejection, like I said, is gonna hurt, um, you just have to, you know, keep on going and understand not to take anything um, personal. I want to ask you also about, um, you know, when you when you're making these calls, um, is it more about making making a sale to to whoever you're you're on the phone with, or is it about you know building those relationships? Like how how does that work for you as far as like so the, so relationships are everything. So my when I had the the company that helped people overcome anxiety and depression, and uh, you know they would they would get their tape and uh, their audio program, their workbook and stuff off of an infomercial, but mm -hmm. then we would call them back 30 to 60 days after they got it, just to see how they're doing with it, right? 
and I have an appointment setter and a closer. And the appointment setter, their, their call, they're just seeing how they're doing. They're building a relationship, how you doing with it and whatever. If the people weren't doing well with their audio program, if they weren't working through it, still dealing with their anxiety, then they would introduce them to one of our closers as a suggestion based on where they're at, right? Because if they call and just immediately say, hey, I think you ought to talk to one of our, our guys with, about personal coaching, you don't know crap about that customer yet. You don't even know if it's the right deal for them. I told mm -hmm. my guys, your job is not to be selling everybody on the phone this, this program. Your job is to find out the people that need it. Wow. You're, you ask all the right questions to find out really where they're at. Once you find out really where they are and and if they are stuck and if this is the best solution for them, then and only then, then you introduce the, the, the closer, the mm -hmm. person who's talking about coaching. And then, and then my, my, my closers, I would tell them, listen, I don't want you to bring up coaching for at least 10 minutes on your phone call, at least 10, usually 15 minutes. You bring it up earlier than that, that's telling me you don't give a crap about your customers, right? right? I want you to learn everything about them. I want you to learn what they're going through, the challenges that they have and everything, so that when you bring up coaching, it truly is from the heart, a suggestion based on where they're at, not the reason for your call. Mm. And by, by selling from a place of integrity, wherein I'm not calling just to sell you this, I'm truly gonna find out where you are, and if this is the best solution for you, fantastic. If it's not, I need to be a person of integrity enough to say, you know what, keep working with your program there because I think that'll work for you. I'll call you back in a month just to see. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? And so, so it had to come from a place of integrity and that could only happen if you build the relationship with them before you close the sale. Absolutely. I, I, wanted, I meant to ask you this earlier when we talked about you know, you know, working to learn and not working to earn. And I hear a lot of... Um, a great uh, motivational speaker, entrepreneurs now say, "Don't don't trade your time for money." I explain that part about you know working to you know learn a lot of things because for the average person, if you ask them like why they're working, it's gonna, they're gonna say they're working to just pay their bills, you know, and take care of their family. But working to learn and not to and working not to earn, like talk a little bit about that and, and break that down for people. Yeah, you'll find that. I've heard it said a number of times, your most valuable piece of real estate you'll ever own is the six inches between your ears, right? Mm -hmm. Developing any other piece of real estate is, is not going to be as fruitful for you as developing this. So um, I, uh, I had a mentor early on as well that told me, he said, Paul, your car should be a university on wheels. Everywhere you go, if you're not on a call or talking to somebody in the car, be listening to audio programs on business and leaderships and success. We didn't have podcasts back then. We had, you know, just audio cassette tapes way back then. But I would listen to them always. In fact, it was funny because years later, I, I ended up buying a, a, a Range Rover that, that uh, belonged to, to LeBron James. And it had, he had put some beautiful speakers in it and all this stuff. I got it from a celebrity car broker when he was playing for the Heat. And uh, my kids were joking because they said, Dad, what are you going to listen to your motivational tapes on your $60,000 subwoofers? You know, mm -hmm. but that's, that's how it was. In fact, I have one of my kids that said, Dad, you, the only reason like, you like 80s music is that's the last thing you ever heard. Because mm -hmm. starting then, all I was doing was listening to things that were 
were changing my mind and helping me learn leadership and businesses, success and sales and everything else. So back into the business world, um, you know, learning the process of building that company or sales or everything else, don't just go and live in that same rut every day. You know, that's where people get depressed and down is they're not growing in any way that's going to help them progress as a person. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, and, and be well-rounded. When you're, when you're developing your mind, don't just listen to business and success tapes. Listen to relationship tapes too and, you know, how to, how to build a successful family tapes. All of these things will totally transform your life but make sure that you're balanced in, in what you're learning. Absolutely. And the working to, to learn part, that is it's pivotal. Um, I, I, I've shared the story when I was, when I was telling you about, I worked at the radio station. So this was 2016. And I, um, when I finally got the opportunity to work at the radio station and they hired me to be a producer part time. So I, I, it, the radio station is in Greenville, South Carolina. So I work, so I stay about an hour away from there. So I would get up at about 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning just to drive to the radio station. Only, from, only to make $10 an hour. So when I, when, I finally made, when I finally got paid from them, I either broke even or I was in the hole by the time I um, got, a, got a paycheck from them. But to me, it was just, you know, having that opportunity, you know, to learn how to produce a, a radio show. Um, and then on Friday nights, we do high school Friday night football from 11 to 12. So that was my opportunity, you know, use my platform to, you know, speak and talk about sports. So. I didn't see any kind of return. Well, monetarily, no kind of no no return that way because they were just pretty much in the hole. And you know, my parents always wanted the best of me. They wanted me, you know, just to get a good job and you know, be able to you know provide for my family. But I, I wanted so much more, so I took that opportunity, even though I knew I wouldn't see anything up front. But it led me to you know starting the podcast, you know, learning how to edit my own audio, learning how to edit video footage and all of that stuff. So. It's a blessing and a lesson in everything that you're doing. It's, it can't always be about the money. Yes, you want to be able to, you know, take care of yourself, provide for your family, but it's still a point, and it's, it's like a season. Like you have to go through this phase of where you're learning first, like you said before, you can finally, you know, make make some make money, the money type of money that you really want to make. Exactly, and you 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 did exactly the right thing, and willing to take a uh, discounted. Per hour and and wake up super early because you were following your dreams mm-hmm. and it was worth it to you because the education you were getting allowed you to now be a successful business owner and, and using those skills absolutely and and I always even when I was at the radio station I I enjoyed doing it but I knew I didn't always want to be there for the rest of my life just sitting behind the desk and just produce a radio show I always felt like I still wanted to do more than that I was thankful for the opportunity. But I still wanted to, you know, you know, branch out and still be able to move around like we are, well, like we're doing now. Um, but being at the radio station, I was pretty much, you know, even on certain on holiday. I remember that Christmas, I was actually there, and New Year's, you know, producing um, in there by myself, um, just doing my job. But it was like I know I still want to do more than just sit behind this desk and um, and just produce radio shows. I wanted to be able to make more of an impact and still show other people they can do the same thing. But like I said, I went through that phase where I had to learn. I did it for about six months, six seven months, and then I and I and I left there. I had to get another. I was this time I had to get another job because my student loans kicked in and I was paying five hundred dollars a month. And I was like fresh out of college. And I'm like, man, how can I pay this type of money 
and then driving an hour to work and only making ten dollars an hour. So everything that I learned in that in that season right there, at being at the radio station, I used it and transferred transferred it over into what we're doing now. But like I said, it was like I just had to understand, you know, just go through these things, you're gonna learn from it and it and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I love like how we're able to, you know, travel all over the country. And now we're here, never like I said, never even imagined, you know, being in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um but like I said, I had to go through that to learn everything from there to, you know, sitting here right now. So I'm, I'm going to ask you as we can, um, get ready to start the transition, you know, you know, working that job, when, what point for you was it when you finally began to transition for, you know, you, you're doing well for yourself. Um, when did you get to that point where you started to transition to becoming a full-time entrepreneur? Um, <clears throat> here's what happened. I- I was, I was on the phone making sales, these children's videos. I was killing it with all the new records in the company. And uh, my boss pulled me in and he said, Paul, he said, uh, we're starting a new division. We're going to be selling personal coaching programs. There's this mm-hmm. lady, Lucinda Bassett, who has a program that helps people with anxiety and stuff. And, and uh, he, said, he said, I think you could do really well with this. He said, nobody else in the company I'm bringing on, but I think you could do really well. And he, he brought in some guys that were earning like six-figure incomes on the sales and uh, selling these coaching programs. And my mentor told me, he said, Paul, he said, don't get comfortable. Don't get to the point where you're thinking, hey, this is what I want. He said, you're working to learn. Don't work to earn. He said, but do the same thing with these guys. Take the best ones to lunch every day. Learn what they're saying. Learn how they're selling. That's what I did. And pretty soon, I was doing really well with that as well. And, and meanwhile, I was building a, a home-based business that was starting to, starting to take off pretty well. And then something horrible happened. Like right before Christmas, the, um, the feds came in and shut down the entire company. I guess there's something with the ownership where they were doing some tax fraud things. I don't know what was going on. But everybody, 300 people, lost their job in one day and didn't get paychecks for Christmas. And... Uh, um, the account that we were working on, the anxiety and depression disorder one, um, a guy by the name of David Bassett calls me at home. It was Lucinda's husband. And he said, hey, I've been looking at all the numbers. You were doing really, really well in making those sales. He said, I'd like to hire you, pay you a pretty good six-figure income, come out to Ohio and, and, and run a team for us out here selling these things. And by then, I decided from here on the rest of my life, Paul Hutchinson is unemployable, right? Mm. I wanted to be my own boss. I learned enough where I was ready to go, and so I told him this. I said, listen, I'm super interested in working with you, but not as an employee. I want to own my own company. You send me the leads that are coming in off the infomercial. We'll take those things, uh, and I'll turn them into coaching sales, and I'll build up a team right here. And uh, negotiated back and forth until I found a good commission structure that would work. And I started out in my apartment. I had a little two-bedroom apartment. Took my little second bedroom and turned it into a, a call center. I put mm-hmm. some. I got some uh, old um, dividers, you know, room divider type things from the from the thrift store that I found, like really cheap. And I put them in. And I put a couple, two or three desks in there. Mm-hmm. Hired some people to go in and start making some phone calls and setting up the appointments. And then I would get in and close them, close them, close them. And then I built it big enough where I was able to move out of my apartment and get a little small office and we were making the calls from there and then I built it even bigger where I was able to get a, a bigger office uh, down in Cedar City with a good partner down there and built that up to the point where we had a little over 200 employees and uh, 
we're selling not only stuff for the coaching program, but but things for a lot of other other companies as well. And, uh, and at 29 years old, I sold that company and right. um, ended up investing that money to start the real estate fund. And it's almost like everything, you know, fell. It was, how do I say, perfect. Never going to be a perfect time for anything, but, you know, it fell right into your lap where you were, like, kind of pushed into that entrepreneur, becoming an entrepreneur when, when the company shut down. Um, but I know for a lot of people, I like to ask this question for entrepreneurs. Um, it's a lot of people that we know that are like straddling the fence, working a job, and they, they have something they're passionate about. Um, and they want to go full time and go all in on their business, but you know, they still work their job. So just for the average person, what would you say, when do you know it's time to you know, take that jump or make that leap of faith? Here, here's what I would do. Here's the best, the best answer for this is to imagine a 24 hour clock, right? So the average person, about eight hours of their day, about a third of that clock, is, is sleeping and resting and getting ready for sleep, right? There's a third of it. And a third of it, another eight hours, that's gonna be, you're, you're trading your time for money, that's your job, right? Mm -hmm. That leaves another eight hours every day of what I call discretionary time, right? This is where, this is the magic hours. This is where you can spend it watching TV, shooting the crap with your buddies, going to the bar, you know, mm -hmm. yelling at your kids, whatever it is that you're doing with that space right there. Now, you need to take a portion of that and make sure that you have a healthy balance, you know, doing stuff with your, your family and everything else. But there's, there's somewhere between two and six hours of that discretionary time that if you were using your time right, you would use it to start building your side business. See, mm -hmm. where, where a lot of people go wrong in uh, when they, and I, I love, I lived by uh, Robert Kiyosaki's work in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant. The problem is this. If people too early step out of the E quadrant or the S quadrant and try to jump into the B quadrant today, it's inevitable they're gonna fail. Here's why. It's gonna take an average of one to five years for your B quadrant business to be making enough money to support everything else, right? Mm -hmm. And so unless you have a really big investor that really believes in you that can make it so that you can go full time on that, how I did it is I kept my foot in that E quadrant, you know, the employee side earning that income while I was building my other home-based business on the side and now that was starting to make money enough where it could barely support us and that's when I took that opportunity to have my own company and start selling because number one, I already knew that it mm -hmm. could make money. That's what I was doing every day on the phone. So all I had to do was take that exact thing I'd been doing every day and do it here and I had negotiated the commission so I knew I could step into that. But the worst thing that you can do is jump prematurely into completely letting go of that stability, mm -hmm. right? So because it, imagine this fireplace and you're, you're like, give me heat, give me heat, and then I'll give you wood. No, you gotta give it wood, you gotta start it going, you've gotta get some kindling in there, you've gotta baby that thing long enough for it to start giving you heat mm -hmm. before, you know, if, you, if you're not giving the wood that it needs. So that's the same thing with your business. You've got to, you've got, if you're pulling out your money too soon to support your lifestyle, then you won't be able to feed your company to keep it growing. So I tell people, wait until your side business, keep your, keep your job, keep your just over broke, your J-O-B, right? Mm -hmm. Keep that, keep that job so it can pay your bills so you're not stressed. And while you have that job, start building your business. And once that business is, is more than one, I would say my goal 
is to have people get to 2x what their job's earning, right? Mm -hmm. at, least, at least covering it. But if they can be at least a 1 to 1.5 or 2x of that, so if, if you're surviving on $3,000 a month at your job, build your company, when it's earning $3,000 a month, keep putting that $3,000 back into your company. Don't start sucking on it yet, right? Boom, mm -hmm. it's coming back in, coming back in. Then you keep building it until your company now is earning four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 a month. And now what you can do is you can quit your job, put a couple, two or $3,000 a month back into your company, have enough to cover your lifestyle, but now you're a full-time focus because the engine is running. Would you say that's a, something that people um, also, instead of leaving too early, you know, when their businesses make, start making money, they pull that money out and start you know, spending it on lavish things or whatever it is. Do you think that's another mistake that entrepreneurs make for as well? For sure, for sure. I, I tell people, don't start buying lavish assets until you're all the way into the I quadrant on, uh, on cash flow quadrant. You know, when you're a true, from an investor standpoint, let's say that you've saved up two or three million dollars and you can put that two or three million dollars into an investment and it's paying you passive income. Now, now you can use that for beautiful homes, nice cars, everything else. Mm -hmm. Don't kill the goose that's laying the golden egg, right? right. You've got you've to feed that goose. You've got to feed the goose. That's your, that's your entrepreneurial, that's your company, that's your business. Feed that, feed that until it's kicking off so much that you know you've got at least six months to a year worth of, of, of expenses that's all fully covered expenses for your business, expenses for your own home life and everything else. Once you've got that in place, then you can start taking some of it and investing it into some passive incomes. Then that income coming off of those, that's gravy. That's mm -hmm. just gravy coming in. You can spend that on lavish hotels and trips and everything else. But don't take the money that needs to go back into your company. Otherwise, you'll kill the goose that's laying the golden egg. What would you say was like the hardest part for you um transition becoming a full entrepreneur, what was the hardest thing that you had to overcome as an entrepreneur? I would say the fear of letting my employees down, right? Mm. I want to, now, now that I've got responsibility on my shoulders, I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got not only the mouths to feed at home, I got the mouths to feed of everybody who's working for me. Mm -hmm. and, and if I screw up and I'm not I don't have my vision straight and we're not making money, then I'm gonna have to let those guys go and they're gonna have to find another job and I hate that, I hate it. I hate it when, and I've had to do it a number of times with a number of different companies where I'm like, crap, this was just getting going and it was, but it's not going the way that we want it to and I'm gonna have to downsize. I hate having to let people go. But I, I realize that, that, that sometimes things don't go the way that I want them to and, and I'm doing the best that I can to give them a job and a secure place to, to provide for their families. And it's not my responsibility long term if they didn't sell well enough for the company to keep going or they weren't producing well enough. It's all a team effort thing. So I, I had to take that burden off of my own shoulders and realize, hey, mm -hmm. yes, I did give them a job, but it wasn't just me that didn't see this thing through. There were things that weren't working in the company that didn't see it through. But that was super hard for me. It was, it was just that extra weight and responsibility knowing that I had employees that were depending on me performing. So, so what advice would you give like your employees if they just say if they were to come up to you and say, hey, Paul, you've built multiple su successful businesses. Um, 
and we work, we're working for you. We're thankful that you employed us. Um, but I'm thinking about, you know, creating my own opportunity. Like, what kind of advice would you give them? You say, hey, because uh, I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs also say it's important to have multiple streams of income. Absolutely. So what advice would you give somebody that's working for you or anywhere that, that wants to, you know, uh, you know, have have that financial stability in their life? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I would say the same advice I'm giving here is, is you know, find find something you can do with your discretionary time in the evenings. You know, mm-hmm. don't get yourself so burned out where you can't perform here at work. You know, that's not going to work for either one of us. Mm-hmm. But I can also, I, there's a number of times where I've helped those employees um, get to the point where they can they can still provide the service that they are for me at the same cost, but I can help them duplicate their efforts so that they could have some kind of a software, some kind of a system or whatever else that they could use in helping other people like they have me. And in those cases, I might even invest with them. I say, look, let's create a win-win here. You know, you're already kicking butt here at this company. Um, you know, we've got a stability going on with everything that we're doing here. Um, you want to break out on your own? I believe in you. I've seen you. I've seen how hard mm-hmm. you work here. How about this? I'll put in some of the, the seed money that you need to start a company on the side. I'm going to own part of it. You're going to own part of it. You're also going to keep doing the stuff that I need you doing here because I can't lose you because right. I really love your work here. But I really want you to be able to expand, not just have the income coming in from me as your as your employer, but have income from multiple places. And I can help you grow that where it can truly be a win, win, win. It's a win for your, your, your other clients. It's a win for you. And it's a win for me. I'm not mm-hmm. losing you. What, what are some traits that you look for um or traits that someone must have that you, you feel they may, may need to have to become an entrepreneur or, or a successful entrepreneur? They've got to get over their fear of success and their fear of failure. There's, there's plenty of them on both sides, right? You're living life with this fear of failure. You're going to make stupid decisions. It's going to actually lead you toward that. And the same thing, if you've got a fear of success, if you think you're not worthy of that, then you've got to get over that as well. So, so letting, letting go of fear on both sides is, is super important. So that's number one. Uh, number two, they've got to be self-disciplined. If you're an entrepreneur and you're lazy, I'm sorry, but you're in the wrong business, right? You, you, if you already know about yourself that you have to have an alarm clock to wake up in the morning, or you, if you don't have a boss telling you you gotta be at work, then you're probably gonna be playing video games all day. If you're that kind of guy, just honor that about yourself and say, okay, here's the deal. I'm not disciplined enough to be my, because you will fail in business if you don't have that degree of discipline. You need to instead go get a job and have a boss that's gonna yell at you, is gonna fire you, gonna demote you if you're not there on time and if you're not working hard. Mm-hmm. So you just, you have to be self-disciplined and you have to be a person that has, has a dream. If, if, you don't, if you don't know your why, I could tell all day long, I could talk to you about how, all day, and it's not gonna do a crap ton of good at all. Mm-hmm. You've, gotta, you've gotta have your why. You've gotta find something that drives you to the point where it wakes you up in the morning super excited for your feet to hit the ground to get going, and you're excited to build whatever it is you're building. That's, that's telling me you've got a big dream. If you don't have that, then that's where you need to start before you start figuring out all the how. Mm-hmm. Building um, your multiple businesses and, and finding people, it's, it seems like you were great at finding um, 
putting yourself in these positions of, you know, getting into people to pour into your business. Like how, can you talk a little bit about that? Is like how to go about like finding investors and building those relationships with them and like, what is it like, you know, for them to, you know, pour into your company, invest in something that they see you building? You bet. That, that took, a, took a lot of years of me trying and failing and trying and failing until I finally was able to get to a point where I had some credibility and strength. I remember when John and I first started the fund. We were, um, we were in this little office so small that if we backed our seats up at the same time, we would hit chairs, right? So sorry to cut you off, John is your business partner? Business okay. partner, yeah. John Pennington and I are the co-founders of Bridge Investment Group uh, on the fund side. Okay. Um, we, had, we had a bunch of guys that started a property management company years before we did. Uh, the Bridge Property Management. We owned a company called Bridge Loan Capital, which was a fund. And uh, that trans transferred into Bridge Investment Group with all of them together. And so John and I, when we were start starting that fund, he, uh, um, he tells this story all the time about my vision of where we wanted to go. And he was, we would have a deal where we needed $25,000 by Friday. And I was on the calls, making calls, making calls, making calls, and I'd hang up a call and he tells the story a lot. He said, yeah, then Paul would hang up on a call and he would turn around and say, John, John, we're going to be a billion dollar fund. And I put my pinky by the side of my mouth. And, and he, said, he's, he says, Paul, uh, we need $25,000 by Friday, right? Mm -hmm. Let's get back on the phone right now. And he tells that story about how I saw that vision of where we're going to be and verbalized it, saw it, visualized it, and that transferred forward. And then he talks about how we would have a conversation afterwards where he would say, okay, Paul, you know that neither one of us have the education or the pedigree to, to run a multi-billion dollar fund. Neither one of us do. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, yeah, but if we, if we do it right, if we build this with integrity from the beginning and, and have the right vision, we will attract those people. And that's what happened. John, John would, would make sure every T was crossed and every I was dotted Everything was done perfectly. I had a lot of people who would call me when we were pretty small and they're like, Paul, why are you guys spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of your own money in doing all of these regulatory things to be in compliance with the SEC? You could easily just bring in some money and just invest it and not have to pay all that money. But we build it right from the beginning. We build it right from a legal standpoint. We build it right from an integrity standpoint. We had full uh, vision of all of our investors, could see exactly what we were investing in, had open book policy on everything. And with that combined with the vision of where we were going, that started attracting all the right people. We ended up bringing in power players, guys that were like one in a billion that that guy was now in my office wow. showing us what we needed to be doing. And it was just me and John, but we had this vision of where we were going and we attracted that power team mm. that transformed our lives. Did it make it easy for companies, for investors that they wanted to see you put your own sweat and equity and money into the business first? Did that make it easier for them to see once you were willing to put your own time and money into it, for that sure. they were willing to, you know, help you get to where you guys were trying to go? Absolutely, yeah. In fact, almost every investment fund, you as the owners, as the general partnership, are required to have a certain percentage in the fund. And, uh, and almost all of them have a certain portion of our own money invested. And in the beginning, a big percentage of the money belonged to me and John, mm -hmm. where, where we didn't even have any credibility. We, we, didn't, we didn't have a track record at all. 
And so we were telling them, look, you put your money in, our money is invested as well, and it's something that's going to create um, returns for both of us. But if we if we screw up, then we, we're, we're hurting ourselves too. Mm -hmm. So so when, at when, what point did you guys, you know, you, you, st you started expanding your, your business and you, you have over what, 20 plus businesses now? Mm -hmm. At what point, you know, you focus on one part, but when do you know it's time to like expand and, you know, branch out and do different business ventures? It's, you got to make sure that you don't limit your bandwidth. So when you're focused on one, like when John and I were building the fund, that's all we were doing, right? It wasn't until we had a pipeline built like Robert Kiyosaki talks about in his book. Once that pipeline is built and you turn on the spigot and it's earning money while you're sleeping, that money's coming in mm -hmm. and it's a machine that's working, then you say, okay, now that machine's working, now I'm earning some money from that. I can do one of two things. I can kind of retire right now and just kind of put a little bit of time and go spend some time on the beach and whatever else, or I can build multiple streams of income. Now I can focus on building another pipeline and another pipeline and another pipeline. And, and that's, that's all dependent upon your, your bandwidth, the amount of time that you have, because the worst thing that you can do is, is have that one fail and that one and that one fail as well. I had a guy that I was visiting with the other day, and I remember when I first met him was about 10 years ago, and he, he, had, uh, he had got a, inherited a whole bunch of money, and he was so proud of himself that he had this list of 100 companies that he had invested his, his money in. That, that he had owned, not just passive investment, but he owned hot dog stands in throughout California and he owned this, this technology that helped people with, with their, their charity work and all of these companies, over a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I told him, I said, brother, I said, you can't do that. He goes, yeah, yeah, I, I know how to do this because you know, I've been in the military. And I said, no, you can't. That's, first of all, that doesn't give you any credibility as an entrepreneur. I said, but most importantly, you're going you're gonna to fail at all of them because you can't focus on one or two. You don't have the bandwidth to be able to create value in all these companies. Mm -hmm. So wait till one of them is doing really well and passive income and then start building other passive incomes. Absolutely. What would you say is some of the best um, advice that you receive um, on your entrepreneurial journey? Best advice? Oh, I got a whole bunch of it for many, many years. Um, you know, I, I would say the, the best advice was that really early on was the importance of visualization, mm. the importance of manifestation, the importance of, of having a clear vision of where you want to go and allowing all the things to come in place. It's like, for example, my, my sister's a, my sister's a travel agent. She was for years. So I don't know if she is now. She's running a running a bed and breakfast now, but she, she was a travel agent for a long time. If I called her up and if I said, hey, Tiffany, um, I want to be on a 737 tomorrow at three o'clock. She would get like, where do you want to go? And then if I answer, well, you know, it needs to have two engines and I want to make sure the wings are blue and it's got, and she'd go, where the crap, where do you want to go, right? This is where people are in their mm -hmm. life. If they haven't identified clearly where they want to end up, then, then, then it's a waste of time. You, you, you could be going anywhere. If you haven't planned where you're going, you'll get nowhere with amazing accuracy. But if I tell her, hey, Tiff, I want to be in New York. I have to be there for a speaking engagement tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Um, then she would go online. She would figure out exactly which, and then, which plane I need to be on. And I should say, okay, you need to show up at the airport at this time in the morning. 
and it wouldn't matter to me if it was a 737 or a 747. It wouldn't matter to me if it had blue wings or red wings. It wouldn't matter, right? They're different vehicles mm -hmm. that once I decided where I wanted to go, then that vehicle would be aligned with that interest. Right? It, it made me think about um, something uh, Bob Proctor was talking about. Uh, and, I, and once he mentioned, I went back and listened to it. It was one of the tapes by, by Earl Nightingale. Um, and he was just talking about, you know, knowing where you want to go and also, you know, um, about, you know, the positive words like attitude. And, you know, sometimes people, people have this limiting doubt and beliefs on themselves. But, like, they think other people can do, like, extraordinary things that they, can, that they can't do. And uh, so why do you think people have, like, those limiting beliefs about, you know, as far as, like, this person can um, accumulate this or they can build this great thing. Um, they know where they're going in life. But I'm not there in, my, in this point in my life. Why do you think people have those like self-limiting limiting beliefs? I, I really believe that comes from uh, from years of training. You know, their parents mm -hmm. had self-limiting beliefs, or you know, somebody said something in in high school to them, or even elementary school. Here's what happens, Carlos. You you you're you're in you're in elementary school, and uh, you know somebody says, Paul. You got, you're, you're bucky, you got buck teeth, you know, you're ugly, you got cultures, you know, all these things. So they, they say mean things to me, right? Mm. You're stupid. And they might say that one time, but I repeat it to myself hundreds of times, mm -hmm. right? That trauma happened once. The trauma I hold today is self-imposed because we say it to ourselves over and over again. And what happens is this, our subconscious mind collects information throughout our life. All it is is a huge database of information of what people said to us, but most importantly, what we've said to ourselves over and over and over again. And it's collected all of this stuff. It's, it's, it's collecting evidence so that it can then take this and drive our lives. The average person, 90, 95% of their day is on autopilot from their subconscious mind. You know, you get in the car, you start it, you back up, you're not even thinking about this stuff. It's not automatic, here. It's automatic it. right? It's the same thing with, with how we perceive ourselves when we look in the mirror and everything else. That's all on autopilot. Your subconscious mind has been told you're ugly, you're not smart, you don't work hard enough, you're never on time. All of these things, especially you know, when we were kids and our parents were trying to form us. You're always late for school. You're always, you know, you, you got C's again, you're so stupid. They're thinking in their limited knowledge, that's how they can lift you up. It's not. It's going to hold you down for life mm -hmm. because they, they take that report card, they beat you up for it, thinking that it'll motivate you. Instead, you reiterate those things over and over and over again. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And then when you're coming out in the world and you're saying, hey, me, Paul Hutchinson successful, that's not me. I'm not good enough. Guess what? Paul Hutchinson didn't come from money. Paul Hutchinson didn't come from opportunities that, that lifted me up in the beginning. Paul Hutchinson came from good parents who believed in me. That's the, mm -hmm. that's the most valuable thing that they did is if I came back with bad grades, they would say, you know what, Paul, you're better than that. I believe in you, you know? That's the most valuable thing that they gave me. So as you're teaching your kids, that's what you need to be doing is, is, is saying, hey, that's not you. You're not a bully, mm -hmm. right? That's not you, you're, 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 not, you're not a D student. I believe in you. You're smarter than that. By, by parenting in a way that's feeding them positive so those kids positive over and over again, it will transform the rest of their lives. Now, if you've had parenting when you were a kid that poured in negative thought patterns, you can change that. You can change it in 
any habit can be changed in 20, 21 days. Super easy. Three weeks of replacing a negative habit with a positive one. Every, I mean, for example, if, you, if you're driving to work every single day and you're taking the same exit every single day, right? And then the company that you're working with changed locations and now you're in a different exit. For the first 21 days, you're going to have to think, wait, I don't take that exit, I take the next one. I don't take it. But after about 21 days, it's in your subconscious mind. It's a new habit and your subconscious mind goes on autopilot and you're driving to that new, new location without even having to think about it. It happens with your negative self-talk. If you're over and over again, if you can replace that with, with little wins, with positive self-talk over and over again, then you can see yourself as a successful entrepreneur. When you're looking in the mirror and you're shaving yourself, you're shaving a millionaire, right? You're shaving a millionaire. You're, you're seeing that and every time you look at yourself in the mirror and every time you're talking to yourself, you're seeing yourself as the person you want to be and it will only take a few weeks for you to override years worth of negative thinking patterns in your subconscious mind. Absolutely, that's powerful, love to hear it. I got a few more questions and we're gonna wrap up this first portion of the interview. Awesome. Um, you know, when we talk about businesses, um, and I, I definitely wanted to ask this question because you know, you know, you talk about you know, getting that capital to help fund your businesses. And we, we travel all over the country and we interview a lot of entrepreneurs and we speak about you know, black owned businesses and Dr. Lakeisha Hallman, um, she's the founder of the Village Market in Atlanta. I remember we were speaking with her, and you know, saying access is uh, very important. And you know, she's saying like a lot of black-owned businesses, you know, if they they feel like if they can make twenty to thirty thousand dollar profit for a year, then they feel like they've had a great year. Um, she said a lot of a lot of black-owned businesses, you know, struggle to to stay open even for even a year. So you know, when you talk about you know access you know building those relationships and, and bringing in that type of capital to help fund, fund your business how can black owned businesses you know get access to that same type of capital to you know help fund their businesses and sustain over just a one-year period just like for longevity term you bet. so here's how i see the world some guys may see it different i don't see you any different than I see an entrepreneur with, with from a different nationality, different color mm -hmm. skin, any different at all. There are some people that unfortunately have been trained to look at women as somebody who can't be successful as an entrepreneur, so they're only gonna invest in men. There's people who are, who've been trained since they were kids or whatever else to, to look at different skin colors differently, etc. I don't see it, okay? Mm -hmm. if, if somebody came to me with a valid business idea that was, that was as valid as, as the next guy or even better, it doesn't matter to me what nationality they are, what gender they are, what skin color they are. It doesn't matter. I don't see that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we still live in a world where people see that. I don't. Mm -hmm. I really don't yeah. see that. And, and hopefully, in the near future, people can truly see each person as an equal. In a, in a way where they're just as intelligent as I am, they're just as capable as I am, they're, they're, they're just, they have just as much ability to be successful as an entrepreneur as I am. Right. You know, and so, so that's what I would suggest, is that, that find people who see you for you, who don't, who don't see skin color, who don't mm -hmm. see nationality, who don't see gender, who don't see any of those things, but see somebody as the passion that's in their heart and their, their desire to be successful and their desire to win and their, their desire to have a successful company. And mm -hmm. so um, I've, had, I've had some of my best friends in the world 
have been people of color of all different nationalities. Mm -hmm. My, you know, my, my, my wife is Latina. When, when I was growing up, I knew people that, that, uh, that cut down on, on people from Latin America saying, oh, you know, they this, they this, and there's certain, certain ways of looking at other people. And mm -hmm. I, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand why somebody would see another human being as any less than themselves in right. any way. And so that's what I would say mm -hmm. is, is find, some, find some good entrepreneurs, find some, some guys who, most importantly, people who have been successful in the business that you're trying to go into, because they understand that business. And then they can, mm -hmm. they can add not just money to your business, but they can add expertise. Right. They can add a lot more value and, and they will get you. You won't have to spend so long trying to teach them about your industry because they already know your industry, mm -hmm. right? They've already been successful in that. Now they're wanting to move into that B quadrant, that business owner quadrant where they're, they're helping others or that investor quadrant where they're helping others and they're investing with you and helping you build it up because they've already been successful in theirs. And I was going to say, we, 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 I remember we flew to Jacksonville on our first self-investment tour back in 2020. We had two, two women on, two ladies on, and they, they purchased, they were the first in Jacksonville to purchase a, a BP gas station. And, you know, they said one of the things they had to overcome was, you know, when they were trying to make the deal, they were just hesitant on telling, um, telling people like they were two black women that were trying to buy the business. They, they tried to hold out as long as they could because they didn't want that to interfere with the business part. Mm -hmm. But eventually everything went well for them. They did purchase the gas station, but it's just, you know, overcoming those things like, you know, of course, sadly, racism is still alive. And, it is. Um, but, you know, we're still trying to, you know, like we said, African-Americans, we want that same type of access to, you know, to that type of capital to, you know, build our um, businesses. And because we help, we help the community as well. And we just want to build our businesses. We want to help create opportunities for other people. We want to be able to pro provide for our family. But like I said, that, that, having that access um, to build those things because you may not have all the resources. So you may need to reach out to other people across the table exactly. that can help bring it in and, and pour into your business as, as well. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And I, you know, and I've, I've had, I've had an experience in my life of um, being looked at in a way that was less than others. I, uh, I grew up, uh, um, here in Salt Lake City, I, I grew up uh, Mormon, and at one point in this country, it was actually fully legal to shoot a Mormon. It was legal in the United States. It was legal to shoot a Mormon, right? There, there are certain states back east, and this is the reason why why there's a concentration here in Salt Lake, because back in the 1800s, they were so persecuted, where people were killing them because they they their their founder had claimed that he had had a vision with, with God came to him and, and had him had a different version of Christianity in his church. And so it was fully legal to kill him. And so mm -hmm. that massive persecution even lasted, even when I was young. I remember when um, I was talking to a guy who, who said that he was in the military and he was working so hard for his, his advancement and he had done everything right. And, and he ended up not getting the advancement and then he saw on the folder written in red, this man is a Mormon. He's like, ah, oh, man. So, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I haven't experienced to the same degree because, you know, my, my outward appearance is something that, that isn't seen by everybody immediately, but I can feel that level of persecution and, and separation from ancestors and from growing up. And so 
I would say that if anybody, anybody, anybody is looking at me or you or anybody else as any less than another human being because of our religion, because of our skin color, because of our ethnicity, because of our gender, because of anything, if there's anything in there, then they need to get inside of their hearts and say, what, what have I been taught that is in error that makes me think that I'm better than anybody else because of any of these things. So I'm a, I'm a strong supporter of, of, uh, of equality in all of those ways and equal opportunity across the board. Absolutely. These are my, first, my final two questions for the first portion of our interview. Is there a misperception or a stigma that's attached you know, to, to, to wealthy people or building this type of generational wealth where you know, people always say the, the rich are greedy, you know, tax the rich, because um, they're making so much money. Like, is there a stigma or misperception that you feel that's around, like, um, successful, wealthy people? Absolutely. In fact, here's something super important as an entrepreneur. It's super important, okay? The biggest enemy you're going to have to your own success is your perception of success itself. Mm. Okay? This is super important. If you believe that wealthy people are bad, that they are greedy, that, that when, when they have money, they do bad things with the money, and they take advantage of others, and they should be punished, they should be taxed more because of all the money that they have. If that is your belief system, that alone will sabotage your personal success towards wealth more than any other thing, guaranteed. And in addition to that, your understanding of how money is made. If you believe that we live in a zero-sum world, what that means is for you to make more money that other people have to lose some money, right? For you to make a million dollars, somehow that million dollars has to come out of other people's pockets for you to make that million, right? If your perception of people who have money, they've got a billion dollars, obviously that's a billion dollars that was taken away from other people and now they're struggling. If you think that that's how we live and you're at all a good person in your heart, your subconscious mind will sabotage your success every single time because you don't want to be that person. What you need to understand and really understand as an entrepreneur is that we truly live in a world of abundance, right? Mm -hmm. You can create a true win-win-win. Yes, there are people that earn money on, on a dog-eat-dog -dog game and they hurt other people and whatever. But it is possible to create massive amounts of wealth while creating massive amounts of good in the lives of others as, as part of that inter interchange. Money is not good, money is not evil. Money is choices and money is a, 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 an exchange of value for value. You wanna make a million dollars? You create a million dollars worth of value in the lives of others mm -hmm. or more. You wanna make a billion dollars? Create a billion dollars worth of value in the lives of others mm -hmm. or more. So that understanding of money is so important as an entrepreneur because if you get that wrong, your own worst enemy will be yourself and that perception of money itself. I think they, like a lot of that goes back into you know what we were taught you know growing up and you know mm -hmm. perception. Like you said, they I would say like the rich people are greedy that they, they do bad things to you know to acquire this money or politicians will say they'll not and not to make this about politics or anything. Mm -hmm. Say they just tax tax the wealthy. Um, that way everyone else can have a little bit more. But, and it's almost like it's easy to say that until you're in that position and then you finally create opportunity. You're making more money and then you'll be like, wait a minute, like, 
I don't want my wealth or my money to be taken just because I'm making more. Like, how is that fair? I mean, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it goes back into politics, but we're not going to go there or whatever. And a lot of it goes back into, you know, what we were taught, you know, growing up and just breaking that stigma around so many different things as far as education and as far as money as well. That A lot of that stuff that we're not even taught in school. Mm-hmm. But, but my final question, um, as we wrap up this first portion, you know, this is the Cross Line Podcast. And what we like to do with all of our entrepreneurs on the, at the end of it, when we're on the road traveling for part of our self-investment tour, my final question I'd like to ask everyone is what does self-investment mean to you? That's a beautiful question. Um, back to something we said a little bit earlier. Um, I was taught when I was younger that the most valuable piece of real estate you'll ever own is the six inches between your ears. I was at a seminar with uh, Paul Pilser. Paul's a good, good friend. I love what he's created in his life. He wrote a book called Unlimited Wealth that, that, uh, that talks about how, how there's literally abundance for everybody. Every person mm-hmm. in this world could have all the food we could ever eat, all the clothes we could ever wear, all the shelter we'd ever need. But unfortunately, we think we live in a zero-sum game. And we, we think that the definition of economics is the division of scarce resources. And he was, he was speaking at a seminar once, and somebody raised their hand and said, okay, you know, now that I'm starting to earn my money and my business, what's the best things for me to invest in? And his answer was, always for the rest of your life, starting now when you're starting your business and all the way until you're successful, continue. The best thing for you to invest in is yourself, is, is your, your education, going to seminars, motivational things, more audio programs, whatever it is that you can invest in yourself. And if you're an entrepreneur, reinvesting into your own company, you know, and mm-hmm. getting yourself the tools and stuff, you're, you're gonna get a higher return if you're willing to work hard and be consistent, you'll get a higher return investing into your own company than you will ever get investing into somebody else's. Absolutely. Paul, I want to thank you. That was a great, great answer to close out this first segment. And before we get out of here, we're going to talk and we'll let you do it again as well on the next portion of our interview. Can you tell everyone how to find you on social media and um, anything? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can go to Paul Hutchinson Official. Com. You can go to Paul Hutchinson Official on LinkedIn or Facebook or, or Instagram. I did not have any uh, social media uh, of any substance more than a month ago. I just started all of them, and we'll talk about that in the next section with uh, some of the undercover work that I've done and things like that and why I'm finally going public with all of this stuff. Um, if you don't want to type out Paul Hutchinson Official, you can type out soulhealer007.com and it'll pull you right into the social media and stuff. We can talk about that later as well. If you want to go to our foundation, you can go to the Child Liberation Foundation. You can just type that into Google or you can go to liberateachild.org or liberatechildren.org and uh, get information on us. Absolutely. So this will close out the first portion of the Cross the Line podcast interview. So keep chasing dreams. Stay tuned for the next part.